Hey everyone, welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message for today is from a brand new collection of sermons entitled Church Defined, where we will be focusing in on God's purpose and plan for the local church. It is through the church that the gospel will be shared, disciples will be made, and God's glory will be revealed. We hope that the message inspires and encourages you today. So here's Pastor Paul. And it's been challenging and truthfully, even though we've been uh, socially distanced and uh, even though we've had online services, uh, the truth is there's been a bit of disconnectedness between us as a church family, certainly. As your pastor, I feel it. I felt it this whole time. I felt uh, just being disconnected, not having that regular connection, those regular uh, moments of gathering together. And, uh, and, and it's just been something that's just been challenging. I'm thankful for our team. And our team has done such an awesome job, haven't they, with the online services and making sure that it was the best possible service that we could do uh, for online. You know, in the, in the meantime, it was the best that we could do, best quality, all of that. But I think you understand that the bond of Christian brotherhood and sisterhood cannot be kept through a camera or through a chat feed. No matter how many times we're like, let us know you're in the chat, right? How we always do that? Put your name in the chat, you know? And you're just like, all right, fine, I'm here, you know? Just want you to know, Pastor, he's so insecure. He's, I'm here, you know? And, and, and that was one of the things we pushed and pushed and pushed, but the thing is, it just, it isn't the same. It was not the same as gathering together to lift our voices together in praise to God. And there's been that disconnection that we've experienced. It just hasn't felt quite right. But now we're back to some sense of normalcy, a little bit different. We're back to some familiarity in that sense. And to be honest with you, it's probably going to take us a little bit of time, isn't it, to get used to one another. It's kind of like, do you remember when you, uh, you know, when you go on summer break in elementary school or high school and that first day back at school, you remember? It's like, hey, you know, like we hung out all last year. You know, we were best friends. We went to every class together, but I haven't seen them for a few months. So it's like, hey, you know, you're trying to get used to each other. And that's okay. We'll give each other that grace and that space to kind of get used to being together again and connecting in. One of the things that's been amazing through uh, COVID is that we've seen our church grow actually a good bit. And uh, the 9 a.m. service, the 1030, I mean, we've seen growth happening. Uh, many that are watching online as well that are going to start coming, I believe, coming to church. And we've seen that growth. And so you might see somebody you've never seen before, but in fact, they've been coming to church for over a year. Uh, in our 9 a.m. service is a couple that's been coming for well over a year. And uh, they're getting ready to join the church. And some of you have never even met them before. And uh, it's just sort of a unique uh, season that we are in. And so we're getting to know each other. We're getting connected again. But the question I want to ask is, how do we regain that connectivity? How do we regain that sense of uh, closeness and close-knit family feel that we had uh, for so many years? How do we get back to that? How do we get back as a church to the heart of a community uh, that I would say this, you know, one of the things people say, well, this is not normal anymore. There's no more normal. There's the new normal and all of that. But I got to tell you, as a church family, there is actually something that is normal, and it's what Scripture teaches us. I keep thinking about Acts chapter 2 and verse number 46, where it says that they continued daily with one another in the temple. That's talking about the early church there in Jerusalem, and they gathered together, and they came together in worship. And so they worshiped together, they were daily with one another, but then also breaking bread from house to house, it says that they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I love this because it talks about the idea of a Christian family being connected one to another, spending time together, eating together, right? We love that, spending time in that way. But then also what I love about this verse, it says that they had a singleness of heart. 
They had a single focus. They had something that they were united around. And truthfully, that is what the local church is all about, us being united. And so the answer to that question, how do we get back to where uh, what the Bible teaches us is normal for the local church? The way we get back to it is by uniting our hearts around a single thing, uniting ourselves around a purpose and a thought process. And I got to tell you what that is. Today, we're going to talk about it. It is the church. It is, in fact, the church. It is what unites us. It is what binds us. It's why we are all here from different backgrounds, different places, all of that because of Christ and because of the church that he gave himself for. Uh, for. And so over the next uh, few weeks, what we're going to do, actually four weeks all through July, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the local church. Now, I know some of you are like, I already know what the Bible says about local church. That's great. We're going to look at it with fresh eyes. We're going to connect it into our heart. And I got to tell you, I think it's going to make uh, maybe even a better connection to who you are as a believer because we've been disconnected for so long, because we've had this, uh, this different reality uh, for church. And so we're going to look at what the church uh, means and why it is important, as well as so how we can understand it and love it and serve the church in the best way possible. Now, I recognize, and I think you know this, but I recognize that the, our culture does not exactly value what we are doing. <laughs> our culture today does not think that the local church is important at all whatsoever, Many people view the church as just sort of something, it's like a social club on the weekends, right? And, uh, oh, you go to church on the weekend? Oh, that's cool, you know? How many garage sales do you have this week, you know, this summer? And it's a place to bring your old furniture, and it's a place to, you know, uh, for, uh, give elderly, elderly people something to do, or, you know, there's all of these things that people have. Some people view the church as a place that is, in fact, holding back uh, the forward motion of human expression and of thought. Other people, of course, we know, distrust the church greatly. Man, that's been so highlighted in our culture today, especially in Canada, how so many people that were mistreated by those who claim to be the church, by the way, I'm going to say that, claim to be the church, claim to be believers, but yet they did so many unchristian things, certainly. And there's a whole generation of people that distrust the church because of that. Maybe some of you, for a time, distrusted uh, the local church because you had a friend who was a Christian who mistreated you or just did not act like a Christian should act. And so there's all of these conceptions and there's all of these uh, misconceptions even about the church. Some, of course, just simply have a lack of understanding about the importance and the role of the local church. I believe this is where many Christians are at. I believe many Christians today do not understand the importance and the role that the church should have in their life. And so they just simply don't make it uh, of, of any really importance in their life except when it's convenient for them. But here's the thing, regardless of what our culture thinks, regardless of what people's opinions are about the church, I want to remind you that what we are doing today, this morning, gathering together, we are experiencing God's glorious plan for taking the gospel to our community and for the generations to come. This is bringing God glory right now. Now think about that for a minute. Man, we don't, we, we're like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to have some coffee. That's going to be the best part of my day. No, we are bringing glory to God right now. Think about it. Right now, this is what glorifies God and lifts him up, and we get to be a part of it. And so while there are people in our culture that take, take issue with what we're doing, there are people that are upset that churches are open again, for sure. None of those reasons or whatever you want to call them eliminate the fact that the church is important to God. And his desire is that we would understand what he was doing and why he left us this gift. He left us this gift. 
uh, to hold and to continue on after Jesus went up to heaven. So the next four weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of what the Bible says about the church, how we can make it a priority, allow it to play a role in our lives, all of that. But before we go any distance, today what I want to do is I want to take some time to define what a church is, to connect in how important the church is to God. And so we do that, first of all, point number one today, by seeing that Jesus defines the church. Jesus defines the church. You can write that down there uh, in your notes. So Jesus defines the church. Now, our word that we use here for church uh, comes from a Greek word, which is known as ekklesia. Maybe you have uh, seen that word before. I think like if there's a church word that people know, if I'm like, hey, name a Greek word from the New Testament, they're like, ekklesia, right? Everybody knows that one. Uh, it's something you've heard before. Pastors, of course, love to define what it is. And it's the word that's used all throughout scripture. Now, the word church is, is, is uh, many, many times throughout the New Testament, it is used in almost every single time universally, except for two or three other locations. It is referenced this word ecclesia. There's another word that's translated church, but primarily it is ecclesia. And ecclesia means this. It means an assembly is what it means. It means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. So this is a group of people that are called out of their houses out from behind their computers, right? And they come and assemble and they gather together for the purpose of, and we'll see, for the purpose of worshiping God, praising him, serving one another, ministering to the needs of each other. And I want you to know that this word that Jesus used often was a word that he chose carefully because it distinguished the church, it distinguished what Jesus was establishing from the national identity of Israel. Remember, Israel, it's all about identity. You know, we are Israelites. We are uh, God's chosen people and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of this stuff. It was very much a national identity. And by the way, you could be born into it, right? You're born a Jew or you uh, uh, convert to Judaism. You become a Jew. All of these things. And Jesus is saying, no, no, this is something that is very different. This is not something you inherit. This is not something that is, you know, passed on to you by your family. This is, in fact, something that you leave from where you are and you join yourself to it. It is an assembly of people together for a very specific purpose. And the big purpose, of course, is that we would fulfill and, and complete the great commission that God has given to us. You know, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, you guys know uh, what the great commission is. And it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. This is what we call the Great Commission. Some churches, it's the Great Omission. For us, we want it to be the Great Commission, the thing that we do, what we pursue, what we go after. Now, I understand this. I understand that as Christians, you know, there's Christians all around the world from all different, uh, all different backgrounds and all of that. And we're part of the family of God. If you're saved, you're part of the family of God. But the church that is described for us in the New Testament that we see in the book of Acts from Jerusalem all the way to Ephesus, and then, of course, the churches that are mentioned in uh, the beginning part of Revelation, all of those instances are local, visible churches. They're a place that you could go to. They're a place where you could see people actually doing things. You know, sometimes you hear about the invisible church, right? Some people say, well, I'm part of the universal invisible church. Okay, I understand what they're saying. And to me, I would say that's the family of God. Of course, we're believers, we're part of that. But to see the Great Commission fulfilled, 
to see things actually get done, God gifted that to the local visible assembly. And it's important that we know that. It's important that we know that God defined the church as something that is tangible, something that uh, can actually get things done. It is not this ethereal mindset of like, woo, you know, there's this invisible force of the church that's out there. And, you know, some people say the power of the church. And, and uh, I know what they're saying. Uh, it's not the force. The church is us, okay? And you know it's not a building, by the way. It's not a building. It is the people. It is the, it is the group of people. And here's the thing. God's work is accomplished through the pursuit I want you to get this here. God's work is accomplished through the pursuit of the biblical definition of a called wow. out assembly. Wow. That's what it is. Now, uh, Lex, my controller is not working for my slides, so I'm going to have you just sort of follow along. I've got that one I want to see. That's a quote I want you guys to get. Yeah, keep going. There we go. God's work <laughs> is accomplished through the pursuit of the biblical definition of a called out assembly. So wow. God's work is done through the local church. And so we've got to understand that. We've got to take that into consideration it is a called out assembly of believers. So what is the church? Say it with me. A called out of... Okay, you got it. Perfect. Perfect. You got it. You know. <laughs> uh, I guess I should have put on the screen if I wanted to say it, right? Uh, it is a called out assembly of believers that meet together for the purpose of worshiping God and lifting him up. So Jesus defines the church for what it is. But secondly today, I want you to know that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, this is key. We got to get this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, And hath put all things under his feet, that's the Lord, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, specifically, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Uh, Colossians 1:18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, Jesus is the founder of his own unique New Testament church. Isn't that great? He started it all. He got it all figured out. And he is described for us then from that point on, Christ and his disciples, the church from that point on, Jesus is the head. He is to have the preeminence. That means first place. So what does that mean for us? That means that as Christians and as a local assembly of believers, Jesus is to be the focus. He is to be the one that we look to. He is the one to be uh, the leader. He is to be first place. Like the owner at your company uh, or the boss, maybe some of you are blessed to be a, 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 a boss. I say boss, I don't know. What's the, what's the correct term for it now? Maybe you don't say boss anymore. I don't know. The, the supervisor. Uh, if you're blessed to be a supervisor, have people work for you, or if maybe you're the owner of your company, I mean, what a blessing that is. Uh, you recognize that even though you schedule people, even though there are policies in place, the fact is, it all goes back to you eventually. People look to you for leadership. People look to you for direction. And that's what it is with Christ. He is the head. We, he is the one that we look to. And since there is a head, there must be a body. <laughs> and he says that right there in Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body. Well, who's the body of Christ? Us, the believers that are gathered together. We're the body of Christ. And so he is the one that we look to. He is the one that is uh, our leader. Just like the human head directs the functions and the actions of our body, in the same way Jesus is to direct the affairs of the local church. Now, I know that's maybe hard for us to kind of get a grasp on. You know, I mean, Jesus, he's in heaven, right? 
Uh, so how can he be the head? I, I watched an argument online uh, the other day. Sometimes I do watch arguments online. You guys are doing people arguing. And uh, these guys were arguing. And this guy was arguing for the church. And he's like, well, Jesus is the head of our church. And the guy's like, well, call him and get him here so we can talk about this. You know? and, and, and you know, that's kind of the idea when we say Jesus is the head of the church. Well, what that means, of course, practically speaking, is that we filter everything that we do, what we say, what we preach and teach, and the focus, the direction that our church has is filtered through Jesus Christ as our preeminent Savior, meaning what he said in his word, what was taught by his disciples and the apostles to follow, what it was that was given to us. And it's important for us uh, to recognize that Jesus is the head because so well, because of what happens is that often in a man-centric church or a man-centric denomination or whatever you want to call it, Christ is sometimes replaced as the head. And I'll tell you this, if Christ is replaced as the head of a church, it ceases to be a church any longer. It ceases to be a church any longer. Whether you replace it with a man, uh, with a personality, uh, with, a, uh, with a group of people, uh, with, a, with a denomination or whatever you want to call it, anything that replaces Jesus as the head of the church, it ceases to be a genuine church. I was talking with my dad recently. Those of you who don't know, my dad is a pastor as well. And uh, that's the reason I didn't want to be a pastor, but God had different ideas. And so that's why I'm here uh, now. Um, not because he's a bad dude or anything. He's a good, he's a great godly man. I love him. And uh, obviously, and, uh, but I was talking with him the other day and he was telling me this story about a few years ago. He was talking with a pastor from a very, very liberal mainstream denomination. And uh, you can fill in the, the blank of what you think it was, but a mi- very, very liberal mainstream denomination. And they're having this discussion, and the guy from the mainstream denomination, and, and my dad's an unaffiliated Baptist like we are, uh, they were having this conversation, and the guy was like, the minister was like, hey, like, let's get our churches together. Let's have like, this big service together, and man, it'll just be so awesome. He's like, I know we don't agree on everything. And my dad's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, um, but he's like, but, but we're, all, we're both churches, right? So we can get together. And my dad didn't say anything. And so the minister said to him, he said, you do think we're a church, right? <laughs> and I said to my dad, I said, well, what'd you say to him? You know, I was thinking he was like, no, you know, or something, you know, I was like, what did you say? And he's like, I didn't say anything. And, and he said, the guy just kept going. He's like, I'm thankful. He just kind of kept moving on. But that was, here's the fact about that denomination. The fact is, is they had replaced Christ as the head of their church a long time ago. And so as a Bible believer who knows the word of God, who knows that Christ is to be the head, he is the one that we are to go towards and his teachings and his word for a denomination to make their focus the denomination, to make their focus, um, and, and I'll tell you this, in this denomination specifically, the head of their church was no longer Jesus, it was cultural relevance. It was fitting into what the culture thought the church should be, and so they just did whatever it was that the church said, or the culture said, and I'll tell you what, if you live your life and if a church is, is dependent on the culture for our cues on how we worship God, cult, the culture is not our guideline. What they think we should do is not what we should be focusing on. And so I would say any group or any church that makes it all about cultural relevance or fitting into the latest trend of, of, of man-centric, honestly, sinful thought, by the way, not all thought is sinful, you understand that, but you know what I mean. It does cease to be a church. You say, well, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because we need to know. We need as believers, remember, the responsibilities on us as individual Christians. We need to be able to know and distinguish and define what a real church is and what a false church is. 
We need to be true to what the Bible uh, defines for us as a church, and it would be wrong for us. And I would say it's sinful for us to try to define the church in any other way. Think about this. You guys know my wife, Jeanette, and she's downstairs in the nursery right now. She was at the 9 a.m. Uh, with the boys, and Kid City's going on downstairs. They look like they're having a great time, and it was really hot down there. <laughs> Just where the Kid City is, the nursery's nice and cool, but where the Kid City is, all those kids in there. And uh, she's down there with the kids, but you guys know my wife makes amazing meals, right? There's a reason I weigh what I weigh today uh, <laughs> because of my wife. If you'd seen me when I first got married, you'd be like, who is that guy? Um, I'm not twice the man I used to be, but I'm, I'm a few pounds more. But um, man, she makes awesome meals. And you guys know she's super creative in the kitchen. You know, like so many times I come home and she's just like got some French cafe music playing. You know, I don't know what's going on. She's just cooking away, you know, and she loves it. I mean, that, she loves it. She's always new recipes and all of this stuff. And she always tries new stuff. And, and that's what I, I love. Sometimes I'll come home after a day of work and she's like, man, trying this new recipe. And you know, I, didn't, I don't know what she's doing. And she's trying this. And she'll put so much time into it, effort into it. You know, uh, everything starts with Pinterest, right? And then it kind of goes from there and she builds on it. And then she's also super creative. So she'll be like, oh, I didn't have this ingredient. So I just figured it out and I tried this. And I'll tell you what, we sit down and we begin to eat that, that meal that's just super creative and new and never had it before. By experience, let me tell you something. It's not a, a wise thing for me to be like, you know what would make this even better? <laughs> you ever say that? You know what I would have done if I was cooking, <laughs> right? You know, I'll tell you this. She gets insulted if I put salt on it. You know, if I'm just like, I try to do it. It's like, hey, uh, you know, try to change her view, put a little salt on there if I need to. She's like, it's, it's perfect. Anyway, so she puts so much effort into it. I love it. But you know what? That would be a mistake as a husband uh, to be like, you know what would have made this? I would have done it differently, right? You know that. Okay, you get, you get it. You understand that. Listen, it's the same way when it comes to the church, right? Hey, Jesus, thank you for founding the church. Thank you, Jesus. You did a great job 2,000 years ago. But I got to tell you, things have changed since you've been gone from this earth, right? And so the way you established it was, eh, I'm just going to make a few little tweaks here and there. Just as insulting as it is to my wife <laughs> uh, to, to say that to her, I got to tell you, it's insulting to the Lord for us as, as, as mankind, frail and feeble and fallible, <laughs> To say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going to make it how we think it should be made. This all comes back to Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head. He is the one. And we must recognize the headship of Jesus Christ and evaluate the church through that lens. This is what the Bible teaches us, okay? Thirdly today, I want you to know that Jesus will build his church. I love this. Matthew 16, 18 is kind of a key verse for this. He said, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. So we know he's speaking to Peter, speaking to the disciples, but him specifically. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I got to tell you, these are comforting and pressure relieving words right here, what Jesus is giving us. They relieve the pressure that we as humans so often have on ourselves, which is I have to do the work of God, right? God cannot do this unless I do this. Now, maybe you don't feel that pressure as much as I do as a pastor. I certainly feel that pressure that I've got I've to do this. I've got to preach these amazing, you know, I've got I to be so eloquent and everything's got to be perfect and I can't make any mistakes. And I, and I think because I, what I do is I fall into the habit of thinking that God, uh, that, that God can only use me, that I'm the only one who's doing the work here. 
But what he's saying here is that I am the one who's going to build the church. Maybe some of you have lived that pressure. If I don't do this or do that, then uh, everything's going to fall apart. And we put that pressure on ourselves. But God says, I'm the one who builds the church. Yes, we are to be involved. We know that. We are to serve and we're to give and we're to do all of these things that scripture teaches us. But ultimately, the growth, the development is up to the Lord. I think of Acts 247, just by reference, uh, where if you remember the story, the church in Jerusalem is just growing and a lot of things are happening. And it says that the Lord added daily such as would be saved. Even in the most intense and maybe most incredible growth of the early church, it says that it was God who was the one who was doing the adding to the church. In 1 Corinthians, one of the earliest churches, uh, Paul had to write to them because they became so divided over various leaders. Do you remember that? Uh, Some of them said, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Some of them said, I'm of Cephas, Peter, you know, he's my guy, and and I follow him, and I follow his teachings. And Paul later on wrote to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, he said, listen, these men are nothing. God has chosen the weak vessels to do his great work. And he says, Apollo, sure, he has watered, but it is God who has given the increase, right? And so what we're learning is that God is the one that is developing. God is the one who is building his church. Psalm 127 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city the watchman waketh but in vain. So God is the one who's going to build his church. You say, well, how is that going to happen? How is God going to build his church? I got a few sub points for us here. First of all, he is going to build it because he builds it on the right foundation. And put that there in your notes. God is going to build his church because he's going to build it on the right foundation. Look there in verse 18. He said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So what rock is he talking about? Now, if you know anything about scripture, you know that the name Peter, Cephas, actually means rock, stone. That's actually what his name means. John 1.42 talks about that. So he's speaking to Peter. And so is Jesus saying to Peter, like, like the Catholics believe, that Peter is the ultimate one. He is the one by which the church is going to be built on. Is that what Jesus is saying? Now, of course, we would say, well, no. I would tell you this. Peter would say no, wouldn't he? (laughs) If we were to go all the way back in time and say, Peter, is he talking about you? No, he's not talking about me. He's talking about himself. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, it's because of the wording that is used here, the original languages. So he says, you are Peter, you are Cephas, you are stone, you are rock. He says, but upon this rock, which is the word Petra, Peter is Petros, Here he says Petra, which means cliff. (laughs) It means massive. It means a huge rock outcropping. And so when Jesus says to Peter, he says, you're stone, (laughs) you're a Peter. He says, but upon this rock, he's speaking about himself, I will build my church. I'm going to tell you, the gates of hell will not prevail because of Peter. The gates of hell will not prevail because it is founded on Jesus Christ himself. He is the rock. He is the solid foundation that which we will be built. Uh, Our faith church is not in a system of teachings or doctrines or traditions. It is in a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our head. He is our foundation. Without him, we have nothing at all. He is our hope. He is our salvation. Uh, remember the parable of the two men that were building, uh, uh, building houses in Luke, in Luke chapter 6, verse 48. He said, he is like a man which built a house. This is the person who listens to the word of God and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat uh, vehemently upon that house. It means beat strongly in the house and could not shake it. Why? Because it was founded 
for it was founded upon a rock. There's a song that we sing sometimes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. It is not stable. And here's the point. We must build upon the right foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. It goes right along with him being the head. He is also the foundation. He is the stone. He is the solid foundation that we build the church upon. Secondly, he builds, though, with the right materials. So he builds it on the right foundation. That's how Jesus builds the church. But secondly, he builds it with the right materials. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to turn over there with me. I'm going to read verses 9 through 17. I like to mix it up and not put all the words on the screen, right? I want to protect your retinas. You know, you stare at screens all week anyway. I want you to, you know, look at your Bibles. It's good to do that. You're like, my Bible's on a screen. I get it. I get it. You go ahead. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 3. I'm so thankful to have some people to look at while I preach. I just got to tell you, that bottomless hole of a camera lens is no fun. <laughs> it never laughs either. So anyway, it thinks I'm the least funny person. Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, he's the foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Okay, here's a whole passage that a lot of things are evident here. First of all, the thing I want you to notice is that in God's mercy and in his grace and in his wisdom, he has chosen men to carry out his work upon the earth. What an honor and a blessing that is because we don't deserve wow. it. And he says, I, you're, you're going to be doing works. You're going to be doing works that can bring people to Christ. And it's a privilege to be a builder, to be a co-laborer with God. Amen. Don't ever lose the joy of that. Amen. Sometimes in the, in the difficulty of life and in the struggle of just the challenges of living in a fallen world, we lose sight of the fact that God has chosen us and called us and set us apart to be a part of his great work here on this earth. What a privilege it is. Don't forget that. Second, though, we see that God is concerned about the materials that we build with. You see that? He's concerned about the materials that we build with, telling us that it is possible to use the wrong materials. Okay, now, did you see that there? He said, you want to build gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, stubble. And then he says later on, they will be tried by fire. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a fire of gold, silver, and precious stones. Hopefully not. But I can tell you what, it's pretty much going to stay there. <laughs> pretty much going to stay there. Because what? Those are purified by fire, right? But if you've ever had a fire of wood, hay, and stubble, please don't do that these days, okay? Fires are banned, I think, province-wide, and they should be uh, right now. If you have a fire of that, guess what? It gets burned up. It gets turned into nothing. So it is possible to build with the right materials and it's possible to build with the wrong materials and what we see here. Now, I got to tell you, today's philosophy of church growth is to gather a crowd at any cost. Just get a group of people in the room and I uh, mean, it's all going to be good. But I got to tell you, a crowd is not a church. A crowd is not a church. And if a church is built on, a, on a, you know, like, Strobe lights? Oh, this is dumb, right? Okay. If a church is built on like smoke machines and like the 
best band in the world, but that's all it is, okay? It's not, it's, it's not going to stand the test of time. It's not going to stand the test of time. A church needs to be built on the right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And we want to build our church with gold, silver, and precious stones. We, we don't want to build it on things that will be burned up, okay? Now, should we have the best music possible? Yes. Should we have great media? Yes. We should do all of those things to the best of our ability. But if our church is only built on those things, and sadly, that's, the, that's a, a big problem today. So many churches are built on personality, you know, they're built on the vibe, right? You know that word? Man, I get a good vibe when I come to church here. I don't even know what that means, you know? Like, all right, it's like a tickle in your tummy? I don't know. Like, I, I get a vibe when I go there. And I just get this, this sort of like, whoo, you know, I get this thing. And that's, and that's why you go to that church. We'll tell you what, one day you'll go to church and that whoo won't be there anymore. The vibe will be gone. And if the vibe is gone, then you're like, well, this isn't the place for me. And you move on. Oh, you could put that on a shirt. If the vibe is gone, I move it on. All right, okay. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, it's a terrible advice for relationships. <laughs> All right, then don't use that. Don't apply it to relationships. But listen, church, we want to build on the right foundation. And so that's what we want to do. Guess what? It may not grow the church as fast as others. It may not, uh, it may not you know, see like all this maybe crazy stuff, success in the world's eyes, or even in maybe our modern church's eyes, success. But I'll tell you what, a church that is built on the right foundations will stand the test of time. A church that is built on the right foundations will survive covid it will survive persecution that is coming to the church, legit persecution that's coming to the church. You know, you guys know I'm part of a, a group of pastors in, uh, in the area, and we have Zoom calls and all that. Uh, now we're meeting a person again, or we will in the fall. But um, a few months ago, I was on a call, and, you know, we were just starting. We were having outdoor services, and I'll tell you, out of all the pastors on the call, we were the only church meeting in person at the time. And I'm thankful for you guys being willing to be flexible to go meet in a parking garage and all that good stuff. Um, uh, but, but the question was asked, like, hey, everybody, you know, tell us the state of your church, right? The Bible tells us that we're to know the state of our flocks as leaders. And so that was the question asked to all of the pastors. And so everybody's kind of going around. And I remember one pastor in particular, um, pastors of church, I would say probably several hundred people, maybe 200 or so, as far as I'm familiar with. And this is what he said in the call. He's like, I have no idea. That's what he said. Well, hey, how's your church doing? He's like, I have no idea. He said, I, I do the stuff on the camera. He's like, nobody wants to meet up. Nobody, he's like, I don't. He's like, I don't know what kind of church we're going to have when this all ends. And man, my heart was, was hurt, was broken by that. But also, I was very thankful for City Baptist. Because I got to tell you, church, through COVID, we've grown through COVID. And God has brought people to us. And uh, I look forward to the day that we can try to fit everybody in one room. <laughs> uh, but for now, I got to tell you, God has, God has really brought some growth to us. We have people that will be joining and, and uh, being baptized and all of this is going to be happening. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful for that. And I, this is not to make our church better than anybody else's. Other churches have seen similar things and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. But I believe it's because we were church built on some solid things. Our, our relationships, you know, uh, weren't just on, on the way the building was. <laughs> By the way, online church might have been better than coming to church here. I don't know. I like it here. But you know, your shoes aren't as dirty when you stay at home. Uh, but, uh, the tap dust, right? But, but I believe it's because we're a church that had some solid foundations. And so as a result, man, guys, I, you don't know how blessed we are to have our leadership that was reaching out to you and, and connecting with you through this time. And I mean, encouraging me as their pastor and just all of the things that were going on. And we've got to be a, a church that's built on the right foundation because that will stand the test of time. Amen. I don't want this to be some... You know, oh yeah, we, we gave it a good run for a few years and it just didn't work out. No, no, we're, we're here to stay as a church and we want to sail through those storms that are going to come. 
And that really brings me to my, our next point, where God builds the church to last. He builds the church to last. Notice there in the verse, look at verse 18. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You guys know that we have an adversary, the devil. The Bible is very clear about that. And he'll do anything he can to distract us. He hates believers. He hates God's church. And honestly, he hates you. Who, me? (laughs) Nobody hates me. Satan hates you. If you have Christ within you, he is against you. Some of you have been facing the attacks of Satan, maybe even this week. Some of you have been facing uh, how his, his favorite tactics, which are tried to, do, to divide believers, to try to intersect himself into a church and cause problems and, and divide and destroy. He loves to breed doubt. But I want us to know that no matter what it is, whether it's outside persecution or inside turmoil, God promises us that there will always be a remnant that will never disappear. See, the fact is, is not all churches remain as they began. That's the truth. Uh, we've already talked about that a little bit. There are many churches that once stood for the Bible, that preached the gospel, but today they're nothing more than social clubs, a place to drop off furniture at. But a little examination, if you look at some of those churches, you can see the downward slide, and it's because they stopped making Christ the head, they stopped building on the right foundation. If we get back to where we need to be with Christ as the head and the right foundation, he says the gates of hell will not prevail. Satan and all of his forces will not prevail against the church. It's discouraging sometimes to think of the fact that churches that once stood and proclaimed the gospel are now just simply concert halls. Uh, This week, I saw an ad uh, in one of my feeds or somewhere I was online, and there was an ad, and it said, come hear this musician uh, in an old church in Vancouver, and they had this cool picture of the candles and everything, and this guy was in this church. It didn't say, hey, come and hear the gospel preached in this church. I'm not against concerts, and I'm not against those kind of things. You understand it. But the thing is, this church that it mentioned, and I looked it up, and I recognize it, all of us would know here in Vancouver, is known for more for its concerts than it is for its gospel stand. That's what it's known for. It's known more for its uh, group <laughs> sessions and its therapy than it is for preaching the gospel. And that's a sad thing, and that does happen. Not all churches end up where they start. That's sad, but you know what? That's why God builds new churches. That's why God plants new churches. That's why God calls people to be a part of a church plant in a tap dance studio. And I'm so thankful that God does that because he's constantly being renewed. And even though some may fall by the wayside and Satan may say, all right, win for me. That church is no longer effective for Christ. God just raises up somebody else and his remnant will always remain. And I'm so thankful for that. Think of 1 John 5 verse 4. It says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. God is building his church and he is building it to last. But finally this morning, I want you to see that God, Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. Get this today. This is so great. Now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We'll go there and uh, read that verse in just a second. Now, that's a verse that's well known for uh, being a subject, uh, well, well, dealing with the subject of marriage, right? And it talks about marriage, and it's so wonderful. And we see that there, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And we, we love that verse, you know. And by the way, husbands, you should love your wives, right? Love your wives, husband. That's a command, straight up. Love your wife, okay? Don't mess that up. Love your wife. (laughs) But what is so interesting here is that in a passage that deals with the love between a husband and a wife, we also see an element, and God intersects this statement here about Christ and the church. And here's the reason why I believe it. The reason I believe it is because 
the love that God has for his church is, can really only be comparable to the love that a husband and a wife share for each other. Now, no judgment here, but have you ever looked at a couple and asked yourself the question, I wonder what she sees in him? <laughs> you ever ask? No? Okay, I'm the only one? All right. <laughs> or the other way around? All right, I wonder what he sees in her. Now, I'm going to pick on uh, Florian today because he's my future son-in-law, okay? And uh, my future son-in-law is here, and I got to be honest, I'm getting to know him. We're spending a lot of time together since they moved here, and... Uh, and there's sometimes I say to myself, I wonder what Linla sees in him. I'm kidding. You guys can. Well, not totally kidding. No. <laughs> Family can do this. Okay? And we say that. And, and you know what I have to say to myself? <laughs> Obviously, Linla sees something because she loves him. She even wants to marry the guy. Right? And that's great. Praise God. Some of you probably said that, you know, what does Miss JC and Pastor like? I have no understanding at all why they are together or how that worked out. And here, here's what, that's the great thing about it, right? The love between a husband and wife that sometimes we don't understand because we're outsiders, right? We're looking at, we don't understand what's going on. And that's okay how God brings somebody, two people together. But it's the same idea when it comes to Christ and his church. The love that he has for us is, is just so unique. Wow. It's so special. I would tell you it's even maybe incomprehensible as, as humans, but yet when we're a part of it, as the church, we're a part of it, it's something so unique that we can understand then, wow. okay? Wow. God loves his church. Now, he does give us a descriptor here. He says, and he gave himself for it, meaning that's the idea of sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice for us in that way. He loves us with an, with an unselfish love, and it's, it's hard to even understand, but that's how much God loves the church, that's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves me. I'm so thankful for that. And so as, as Christians, here's the big thought for today is that we need to love what God loves. We need to love what God loves. If you don't get anything else this morning, get that, okay? I need to love what God loves. And God loves the church in an incredible, incredible way. Uh, yesterday, my boys, two of my boys, Miles and Owen, had uh, their final baseball game. They've been playing baseball this year. Well, let me put it this way. They've been practicing baseball because of COVID. They can't play against the other people. They can only practice. But they finally had some games, you know? And uh, they had two games slotted for yesterday. Uh, but because of an incident, uh, they had to go to the hospital for a while. Uh, it's a long story. When you have four boys, this happens. Two of them had to go to the hospital, those two. And uh, one came back, one could play the game, one could not. It's a long story. Don't worry about it. Uh, they're all fine. Um, and so we go to the game, you know, and, and they've been playing baseball this year, and it's been, been really fun. But here's the thing about my boys. It's been fun to watch Maximus get interested in basketball. He played basketball for a while and, uh, and other things that, uh, uh, that, that they like, these sports. But, and, and I'll tell you this, when we got home yesterday, Owen, the first thing he said when we walked in the door, he's like, are you going to sign us up for next season? That's what he, the first thing he said. Are you going to sign us up? So I'm like, okay, I guess they like it. But here's the thing with the kids, with my boys, definitely. The only reason they wanted to play baseball and the only reason they want to play basketball is because I love those sports. I love them. As you guys know, I played baseball my whole life. I love baseball. I played basketball all the way through, well, high school and in college. I mean, I love, I love those sports. And so for them as my sons, they like and they love and they want to do the things that I like and I love, right? You're getting the picture here. Same thing with our Heavenly Father. As Christians, we need to love and we need to desire and we need to pursue the things that God loves. Amen. It should apply for us so much here, especially because we know that God loves the church. Now think about the implications this morning. Think about it. 
Think about the implications in your life if you, as the child of God, love the church as much as God loves it. I'm not just talking about like, I love going to church. You know, I get a high, that was a high five. I get a high five all my friends. That's a COVID high five, right? Uh, I get a high five all my friends and I get this good vibe when I'm there and I love listening to Chris sing and I love the, uh, the worship team. I mean, they're so great and I love the nursery. My kids love going there. Oh, I love all of these things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about loving the church. Like, oh, I love it. I'm talking about love the church, meaning make it a priority in your life. Lift it up in your life. You know, I love the phrase, you know, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision, right? Not like I'll go to church if I may, if I wake up in time, <laughs> you know, or I'll go to church if it just sort of works out for me or if everything is perfect my whole week, then I'll go to church. I know people sometimes they say, well, I just had a bad week, so they don't go to church. Listen, if you have a bad week, you need to be in church. That's the first place you should go. You should come early. You should be like knocking the door. Can I come in? I mean, this is the place to be. And it happens as we make it a priority, as we truly love it, as we truly love it. You know, man, right here, these two love each other. I'm going to keep picking on them. They love each other in like an uncomfortable way. They love each other. Like, it's weird for me to see my daughter like in love, just, just to be honest, like, that much. Okay. Um, and <laughs> aren't you glad? It's great. It's like, anyway, my other kids are downstairs, so I have to pick on them. Um, but man, they just, they, and, and you know what? They make each other the first priority. I'm no longer a priority in anybody's life anymore, right? <laughs> it's, all, it's all about Florian. It's all about Linla. And that's great. They need that, okay? You got to have that. You guys know what it's like. Um, but it's the priority. Their relationship is their priority. Preparing for the wedding, that's a priority. All of these things, that's a priority, priority. So that's how it is with the church, okay? The church should be our priority. Outside of our personal relationship with God, the family that God has blessed you with, the church should be right up there. I would even say this. If you prioritize and you love your family, you'll have your family in church. I believe that with all my heart. I want my children to know that I love church. I don't want my, my generation, me and my wife, to be the last generation in our family that goes to church, that loves God, that serves him, that worships him. I don't want that. I want my children to have that same love and desire. And how's that going to happen? It's not going to be by me finding the easiest ways to get out of church. That's not going to be by me being like, oh, like, <laughs> you guys fill in the blanks. You know, whatever it is, ah, it's a little hot today. We're, and there's a good one, right? A little hot today. We're going to stay home or whatever it may be. It's prioritizing. Now, if you're sick and you have COVID, stay home. We know that, okay? We know all these rules, okay? We understand that. Um, but these things that, that we often use as, as reasons to keep us from prioritizing church, they shouldn't be because we're not only leading ourselves to be closer to God and, and loving what God loves. By the way, God is honored by that, but we're also teaching another generation as well. This is, this is important. You know, the next generation to come, the generation of kids that, that we are all having and will have, may be the very ones that see Christ return in all his glory. They may be the ones that are raptured. I pray it's me, but it may be then. And, and in our study of Revelation that we have seen, it's not going to be easy for believers, is it? And man, I want my boys to stand strong. I want my, my girls to stand strong. I want our family to stand strong for Christ on the right foundation. And it's only gonna come as we love what God loves and God loves the church. So like I said at the beginning of the message, how do we all come back together, right? How do we connect? How do we get that feeling back? You know what it is? By all of us together, focusing in on what God has called us to do, which is love his church. Make it a priority again. Make gathering together with believers, ministering to one another. You say, nobody even knows my name. Uh, I, I'm new. Nobody even, you know, listen, come and, and get to know each other. Reach out to each other. Connect with one another. 
so much of life is difficult, church is not a difficult place. Church is not a difficult place because we should have one goal, which is lifting up the name of Jesus. And if you can come and be together with a group of people that have that same goal, man, what, that's such a life-giving thing. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. And you can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message from our new series, I Am. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.